0: Hello, Kobo and Conversation listeners. It's Nathan. I'm the producer of the show. While we take a little break over the holidays, we're going to drop a couple of special episodes in the feed. First, we've got romance novelist Talia Hibbert, who was interviewed on our sister show, the Kobo Writing Life podcast. That's where my colleagues, Joni and Stephanie, talk to writers about how they manage their publishing careers. They spoke to Talia about where her ideas come from, and they talk about Wrapped Up in You, a novella you can get from Kobo. Just follow the link in the show notes. I'll be back at the end of the episode with a quick note, but for now, over to Joni and Stephanie.
1: Hey writers, you're listening to the Kobo Writing Life Podcast, where we bring you insights and inspiration for growing your self-publishing business. We're your hosts, I'm
2: Stephanie. And I'm Joni. We have Talia Hibbert
1: today with us on the podcast. Thank you so
2: much for joining us, Talia.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. For anyone who
2: is unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Yeah, so I write sexy, diverse romance. That's what I like to call it anyway. (laughs) And I've written, I want to say, 17 books now. And my thing is kind of warm, cozy romance about people having a great time, being nice to each other. That's what I like to read and it's what I like to write. (laughs) Nice.
2: So you're a hybrid author, you have both traditional
3: and indie published books. How did you get your start? Did you start out indie or traditional? I started out as an indie author because I kind of assumed that traditional publishing was out of my reach. Firstly, because when I started writing, I was in my final year of university and I was kind of splitting my focus. And then also because Being a marginalised person, wanting to write about marginalised characters, I was aware of a lot of barriers and discrimination in publishing that made me think that I wouldn't really have a chance. So it seemed a lot more sensible to just take control and publish my own books.
2: How have you found, from that perspective, how have you found the indie publishing world in terms of being more accessible and fewer barriers to entry, that kind of thing?
3: I feel like the indie publishing world was worlds more accessible than traditional publishing has been and um, I honestly feel like you know just from what I've observed over the few years that I've been publishing that the accessibility and the resulting inclusivity of indie publishing at least in romance really influenced traditional publishing um, and kind of proved that there is a wider audience who wants what we've got and that has spurred traditional publishing to take more risks I think.
2: Yeah, that's true, actually. It's a good way of putting it. I think that might have been a big factor in
3: influencing trad.
1: How did you find, when you published traditionally, how was that experience compared to yourself
3: publishing books yourself? So I was really nervous when I started, you know, my first traditionally published book. I had no idea what to expect because... I think especially when you've already been indie publishing for a while, people are like, oh, this person knows about publishing, so they don't need to explain anything to her. And I know that I could have asked questions, but I am not an asking questions person because I'm always like, oh, is this a silly question? Are they going to be annoyed? So I had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> and I just had to kind of wait for things to happen and then be like, oh, so that's how it works. But luckily for me, you know, I was working with really lovely people who wanted the best for my books. And so it all went quite smoothly. The main differences were that, you know, I had a huge team, whereas before I'd been the only one responsible for all the elements of putting my book out there. And now really all I had to worry about was working on the actual words and someone else was doing the marketing and making the decisions and getting the actual book put together. So that was very refreshing and kind of relaxing. But some differences were that I had to consider the market and the opinions of the publisher, whereas previously, I'd been trying to consider things that influence sales, but honestly, I was just doing what I felt like. (laughs) And that has been really interesting and a learning curve. um, And I've definitely learned more about, you know, the business side of things. And I've always been interested in marketing. So it was nice to learn more about that by observing the team that I was working with. So all in all, I'd say it's been a really great lesson and a fun experience. Did you find, because
2: you have a lot of control as an indie author and you make all the decisions, as you said, and you said it was refreshing not to have everything be on your shoulders, but was there any part of you that was bothered by the loss of control? Were there any decisions that you maybe felt like your publishing house you would have
3: done it differently? I think I was quite lucky because I kind of, when I pitched the series... My pitch kind of included how I envisioned it being marketed. And I think maybe by chance, my vision aligned with what my publisher wanted to do. Um, So the decisions that were made, I didn't have a problem with them, probably because I agreed with them. Maybe if I'd had a completely different tactic that I wanted to do and I didn't get my way, I would have been like, oh my God, this is terrible. (laughs) But because, you know, luckily for me, the only thing that I ever didn't agree on was really minor stuff. Like there were different colored versions of a cover and I liked one cover, one color, but the marketing team was like, no, it looks too young. We have to go with this color. And I was like, but I want the other colour and I had a little tantrum, but that was the only thing really.
2: <laughs> I think also when you're coming from indie to trad, you're in a position of power there because they know that you can do fine without them at this point. So there's a probably a little bit of a, you're coming from a strong position when you've already established yourself as an in indie.
3: Yeah, I think I definitely felt more confident getting a deal after having already published than I would have if I'd got it without that experience, you know? Because like you said, you do have a bit of a stronger position because it's like, well, I don't actually need this because I was doing fun without it. So if something terrible does happen, you know, everything's gonna be okay. And it was nice to have that feeling.
1: When you pitch a publisher, do people usually include like how you want it to be marketed? I have no idea, I'm just wondering.
3: I don't really know either. My agent was like, okay, let's put a pitch together. And I was thinking, how can I say I have no idea how to do that? without sounding like I have no idea how to do that (laughs) and I kind of phrased it very subtly a few times and my agent was like what and then I was like I don't know what I'm doing and she was like oh you should have said (laughs) so she sent me some examples with permission from other writers that she agents for and I found them really helpful and one of the things that my favorite one did was it kind of set up the series because I was trying to pitch a series and it said like these are the people in the series this is the core of what brings them together which in this case was like a place and they described those elements and I found that really interesting so that's how I built my pitch you know these are the sisters this is the family and then from that point That kind of spiralled into me thinking, I guess because I did have that indie experience and I had marketed my own books, that spiralled into me saying, so, you know, it would be like this and feels like this. And I like these kind of books with this kind of cover that have the same feel. Like I remember I mentioned the kiss quotient and I mentioned the cover and the kind of rom-com messaging and the vibe. And yeah, I guess that's how that slid into the pitch. But I don't know if that's normal or not.
1: (laughs) For anyone listening, can you tell our listeners the name of that series and the title of the first book?
3: Oh, yeah. (laughs) The series um, is called The Brown Sisters Series, and the first book is called Get a Life, Chloe Brown.
1: I loved it a lot. I recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So you have a Kobo original coming out. It's called Wrapped Up in You, releasing November 16th. Can you tell us a little bit about this book?
3: Yes, I'm super excited. So it's very Christmassy, It's very, not even Christmassy, but like wintery, you know, that feeling at the end of the year that it's just really a great time for family to get together because you're more likely to have holiday and it's cold. So everyone wants to stay inside. All those kinds of feelings I really tried to pack into it. So there's like lots of pets and hot chocolate and they're in Scotland in like a remote farmhouse and there's a wacky grandma because I love wacky grandmas um, and really it's about a woman who was very close as kids who grew up as family friends and then he went on to become an actor and got quite a bit of success and she just stayed in her regular life but these kind of had feelings for each other and this Christmas because of various factors he is determined to finally say something about it so he's come home from LA and he is going to make her fall in love with him but she is not that kind of person she's a bit frosty and very cautious and she's healing from some things that have happened in the past so it's kind of how they negotiate that and how they prioritize their friendship and it's quite cozy I think
2: so perfect for
3: Christmas (laughs) How does a
2: book start for you? Like, how do you come up with the premise? Do you start with a trope or a character or what's the origin point?
3: It definitely depends on the book. I feel like I have different elements kind of floating around in my head. Like, I think, oh, I would love to write this trope or this particular scene that stems from this trope. Like, just off the top of my head, if you have the fated mates trope, I would love to write a scene where they're enemies and then they see each other and they're like, oh, God, that's my mate. So, sometimes I get a little ideas like that, and then I hold on to them. And on the other side of my brain, I have like character ideas, like kind of voices and personalities that won't leave me alone. And then I get to the point where I put them together like puzzle pieces. And when something fits, then I'm like, okay, I have enough to kind of start writing this down.
1: What's your writing process like? Does it kind of change when you're writing shorter fiction like a novella compared
3: to a novel? It definitely changes depending on length, it changes from book to book. But a shorter book, like a novella, is a lot easier to plan out because because all the sections are smaller, because I tend to think of a book in sections. It's easier for me to hold a small number of events in my head. So I can plan the end of the book without forgetting the beginning. Whereas if I try to plan the end of a longer book, by the time I've planned that out, I've forgotten the beginning. (laughs) So with longer books, I plan less far in advance like I might plan act one and I might have very vague ideas about what I want say the dark moment to be but won't have that much detail whereas with shorter books I can maybe be a bit more precise in advance but it depends on how the story hits me.
2: Yeah I'm always kind of interested to hear about the nitty-gritty of how authors like plan in advance and that so you said you split it into sections and then do you have a pretty clear idea in your head when you start out how
3: things are going to go? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I think I have an idea and then I start writing and I'm like, oh, my idea was wrong. But I tend to, I think a lot of the time the structure that I think of depends on the trope. So, for example, if I know I'm going to have a trope where my characters um, maybe already know each other when the book starts, that will affect the structure of the book versus if they've only just met. Um, Because of, you know, when I'm pacing my book, I like to make sure that my characters spend a lot of time together like I think some of my books they spend all their time together which I don't think every romance novel does that I think I just have problems (laughs) I just like forcing them together in every possible situation um so depending on how intense things are going to be and what's kind of going on in both of their personal arcs that affects which plot structure I choose whether I go with like a more traditional three or four act structure or if I follow like romantic beats rather than traditional story structure
2: how did you find it writing a Christmas based story are you a big fan of
3: Christmas and the holidays I like Christmas mostly because there's a lot of food at Christmas but in my family all of our birthdays are like crammed into November, December and January. So like all of us, except for one of my sisters, she's the odd one out. (laughs) Um, So for me, Christmas is kind of merged with like birthday season. And so I'm not like a huge Christmas person, but I am like a huge winter, Family by the fire person. So I enjoyed getting that in there. And also, one thing I do like about Christmas is it allows you to work with a lot of tropes like the person who hates Christmas meets the person who loves Christmas and other OTT things like that. (laughs) It's
1: funny you mentioned all your family's birthdays are in one specific set of months because that is also the same about my family (laughs) for some (laughs) reason. I'm the one that's born in January compared to August, September. That's so weird. <laughs> I don't know why that. that's weird. I want a scientific research on this. <laughs> Joni, can you,
2: t- is it the same for you? No, but you know what the scientific explanation is and you know that works. Holidays? So what was nine months before this? I actually want to know anything
1: about that. Anyways, yeah. we're yeah. getting <laughs> So do you write every day or how do you kind of plan your writing out?
3: Do you have a word goal? How do you approach that? I don't write every day. I remember at one point I was like, ooh, so-and-so said I have to write every day to be a real writer, so I'm gonna do that. And then I did that, and then I hated writing for the first time in my life. And I was like, oh no, this is bad. So (laughs) then I stopped writing every day. And now I kind of like to treat writing like a nine to five, except I don't think we should work nine to five. So I do it like 10 to three, which is my preferred work day, Monday to Thursday. And when I am writing, because I'm not always working on drafting a book, but when I am, I try to write for like four hours a day, Monday to Thursday. And then the rest of my work day is spent doing, you know, business stuff, the boring part.
1: <laughs> so I would say social media is probably part of your like, not even business plan. I don't like that word, but like part of your brand, for will say... Did you have like a specific idea of what you wanted to use for your social media platforms, or did you just kind of like this worked for me? I'm just gonna go with it.
3: It was a bit of both. Before I wrote, I had like a YouTube channel, and well, I was a makeup artist, and I did hair and makeup on YouTube as well because I was like, oh, I might be really rich and famous, which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. You and- never know.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Becoming. And- Off the back of that, I had a Twitter account to promote my beauty and what have you, and I discovered that I really liked Twitter and that I was quite good at it. So when I started writing, the first thing I did was open a Twitter account because I was like, this is going to be my one true platform. But then I read some books about how to be a published author and branding and they said that I should be on Facebook and Instagram. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be on Facebook and Instagram. And I shouldn't have done that because I hate Facebook (laughs) and now I've committed to being on there and I've actually built up a Facebook group, which I like. So now I've done that, I can't get off Facebook, but when I scroll through the Facebook timeline, I feel rage and sadness. So Agreed. I've kind of myself there. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think Facebook's got a lot of things that are really helpful for authors and for readers, but yeah, th- that timeline. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to have a group. Um, but I, I think, you know, you only need one or two platforms that you're actually enthusiastic about because it's best to make it something that you like because it's, whether you're enjoying yourself on social media or not, it will suck up huge waves of your time. So it needs to be something that you like vibe with.
2: When you started it, was it all just very much organic when you were building your mailing list um, and creating that readership? How did you start?
3: So my mailing list, especially, I think I tried to keep organic because I felt like it was the most important part, you know, more important than social media because your email address is actually quite a precious piece of data and it's more of a direct contact. A lot of us read our emails more seriously than we read you know all the tap that you scroll through on Twitter for example so I wanted that to be a list of people who actually really wanted to hear from me and that meant that my mailing list was very slow to grow and you know I think my mailing list is like half my follow account on Twitter half my follower account on Instagram but it has a lot more power in terms of readers you know if I send them a link and say click this link they will click the link. Whereas if I post it on Twitter and say, click this link, some people will. Some people will reply saying, actually, that link format is ineffective and you should have used this. And <laughs> some people will quote tweet with a joke about links that does nothing for me. So <laughs> newsletters should be organic. I think that makes them more powerful. Whereas, you know, social media, I feel like that's a lot more about building your identity and being known which is also you know valuable or effective when you're trying to get your name out there but it's definitely a different goal so it should be treated differently but I think that was organic too. Were you already a writer or did you have Twitter
2: way before you started selling books?
3: I had Twitter since I was like 13 I think Um, and then it's it's quite weird. So when I was like 16, 17, I realized I had like 3,000 followers and I didn't like it because people were talking to me too much. So I deleted my account and I started a new one. Um, and then a couple of years later, I got too many followers again. So I deleted my account and started a new one. And I did that like four times. And my author account was another new account. And it's the only one that I have never deactivated. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's really funny, and how, like in your author account, I guess you get a lot of people talking to you
3: and following yeah. you. <laughs> but it turns out, you know, when they're talking about books, I'm much more receptive.
2: The romance community on Twitter is something that's really like very fun to watch, um, and can be really like I don't know. The romance community has done some really interesting things lately. Like we we were watching what was going on in Georgia with uh, was it mm. who was leading the charge on that? How have you found Steve Abrams? Yeah, Stacey Abrams, who's a romance writer as well. Um, How have you found the romance community in general? Do you find that it's a welcoming community sometimes? Yeah, I
3: love the romance community. (laughs) I know that. I feel like other people think we're really scary because whenever anyone talks bad about romance, everyone shows up with like cocked pistols. But that <laughs> that is misleading. Romance people are generally super nice. Um, I feel like, you know, one thing I was nervous about, one thing I'm always nervous about, because I'm very socially awkward, is like, oh, no one's going to talk to me. I'm going to be the weirdo on my own. But it's impossible to be on your own in Romance Landia, I think, because there's so many of us and we're very open-minded and a lot of people I've found are just really, really kind in, you know, a very unusual way that you don't see everywhere. So that has been my favourite part, especially of being on social media and probably a main reason why I've managed not to deactivate my Twitter account. <laughs>
1: my like one romance book and you don't think anyone else is going to like it, but you're going to find that one person on Twitter who agrees with you and loves it just as much as you. (laughs) Exactly. I also find Twitter is kind of one of the ways I get book recommendations specifically for romance, which like more, not the mainstream, but like more indie books get recommended to me through Twitter than I think any other channel, which is really interesting.
3: Yeah. Like Twitter is definitely where I find books that I don't think I would have found any other way. So it's definitely where I get the majority of my wrecks. Even like the book I'm reading right now, someone had tweeted like, I'm looking for a book where this, this, and this happens. And someone replied, I don't know that book, but if you like that, you might enjoy this book where this happens. And I was looking at it like, Hmm, I think I would enjoy that book where that happens. So I got the book and I did enjoy it.
2: <laughs> what awesome always- to know. <laughs>
3: Wait, let me see if I've got my phone because the reason I never mention titles is because I could never remember them. <laughs> Sometimes I only have books by the cover. Yes, I remember books by the cover. Oh, okay. It's called No Longer a Gentleman and it is by Mary Jo Putney. And I mm-hmm. have never read anything by her, but I am going to read more by her because this is a banger.
2: Oh, excellent. We will jump Love A historical
3: one. romance. <laughs>
2: Are there any romance authors that influenced you a lot or who you read growing up that who's writing you love? Any recommendations?
3: (laughs) So many. So when I was growing up, the first romances I ever read were by Julia Quinn. Basically my library, I live in a small town, so our library is quite small. And I think for a long time, They had like every book she'd ever written and no other romance novel. (laughs) So that's how I discovered romance and I read all of them. And I feel like she influenced me a lot because her books are so funny and lighthearted and filled with banter. And when I'm writing, I find myself like writing that same back and forth and always aiming for the connection between my main characters to have that kind of fun element. So I would say that she was foundational. Um, And then when I got older, that is when I discovered authors like Rebecca Weatherspoon and Alicia Rye. And I read like everything they'd ever written. And I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, they're writing books about like people that they relate to, I relate to. I can write books like this as well. And like, obviously people want to read it because I'm reading it and I'm having a great time. So that really changed my perspective and kind of opened a mental door for me.
1: Are you excited for the Netflix series coming out? Oh my (laughs) (laughs) gosh. When the trailer came out, I sent it to everyone. Joni probably got it too. (laughs) I put it in the group chat to be like, guys, it's ready.
3: I was actually like, I have been insufferable over this series ever since they made the announcement. And I was so annoyed because um, provided we're not in lockdown, our family has a plan to isolate before Christmas so that everyone can come to my house to do Christmas because this is our first Christmas with our own house. And I was really looking forward to it. And then I found out that the series was coming out on Christmas Day. And suddenly, I was like, "I never want to see my family. I don't even like those people. They can all stay at home. I'm very busy. Very busy." Watch it with
2: you. You can't just say this is what we're doing.
1: I can't. Nobody. I told my family, "Like guys, I'm going to be busy. Just you know, I need six hours at
3: least." My boyfriend said that he would watch it with me because he likes romance, but not on Christmas Day. And I was like, "So what's the point?" (laughs) what's the the point of you what's the point of this relationship (laughs) it's a perfect accompaniment to a christmas time i think so i'm so excited and i love like obviously i love sean ryan as well so i love how it looked in the trailer you know Mm -hmm. it had that like perfect glamorous look someone on twitter said it was giving like gossip girl regency and i just think that's so perfect for the books and i'm also really excited because i actually used to know well no is very generous i went to school with one of the actresses involved (laughs) who was it i don't want to say because i don't want to be super weird especially if she finds (laughs) out and she's like i have no idea who you
1: are all right we'll get it from you later we'll try to (laughs) for later okay so I'm just going to move gears a bit to kind of like writing business. What do you think has been the best thing that you've done for your writing career?
3: Oh gosh, I feel like looking back, I feel like there are always kind of different stages or like different steps and I stay at one level and then I kind of everything I do takes me a little bit higher and then one last thing will bump me over the ledge onto the next step. So I definitely feel like there's the perfect word that means what I'm thinking, but I've forgotten that word. But I feel, oh, cumulative. I feel like it's cumulative. So it was sort of like when I was first starting out, the best thing I did was really closely study other authors, everything from, you know, how they were writing to how they were titling it and and kind of packaging it to how they promoted it and deciding what I liked and then emulating that as closely as I could in terms of like the... Laser sharp marketing and intention, and that really changed things for me. And then once I've gotten the hang of that, it was all about being able to invest more money to be even more on brand and look even more kind of clean and professional. And again, that really changed things for me. And then, kind of because I built this audience, figuring out what I wanted to do with it, figuring out what kind of books or what I wanted my brand to mean like when people see my name, what kind of books are they thinking of, and then really. to understand that and channeling it through my writing and making sure that it represented me that leveled me up again so I feel like it's just always trying new things to get closer and closer to being precisely an expression of your best bookish self
2: that's a really great and very complete answer
3: This is kind of ironic. At the beginning of this year, at the
2: end of last year, we all sat around and talked about our predictions for publishing over the next year. And obviously 2020 was not at all what we expected. (laughs) Um, But I'm interested. Do you have any predictions or ideas about how you think the next few years are going to be in publishing? Where do you see us going?
3: Well, I haven't been very forward thinking at the moment because I'm kind of more thinking what the hell is going on like every day for new reasons. (laughs) But I do have one thing that I believe is going to happen. I believe there is going to be a paranormal renaissance. And I think it's going to be all about paranormal rom-coms. Like when it was Mary Janice Davidson and other people who I used to love, but I can't remember their names. That is going to come back. Like a Cressley Cole? Yes. But like, yes. And I love Cressley Cole, but I feel like the Immortals After Dark series, we have been in this phase of, marketing paranormal as like very serious, even when it's not not necessarily. So like her covers at present are all kind of very serious, traditionally gothic. Whereas moving forward, I think authors like Presley Cole will have like the cartoon covers but paranormal and things like that. I would guess you're right.
1: I can see that, that, like, just given, like, the temperature of the world, I want to say, people are going to be yeah. working more towards rom croms and, like, superheroes in their
0: yes, novels. Yes,
3: superheroes. I believe that. <laughs> it's a good prediction.
1: What can readers expect from you next?
3: Obviously, Wrapped Up In You is coming mm-hmm. out very soon. Ending the year with a bang, I hope. <laughs> And then the third and final book in my Brown Sister series, Act Your Age, Eve Brown, is coming out in March, which is exciting. Um, And after that, I am thinking about my mom, I'm thinking about paranormal, so I really hope my prediction is (laughs) accurate. (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, about fun stories that are maybe even more off the wall than I have previously liked to write. Like, I am ready to be removed from reality than I was before, because I now dislike reality more than I ever have. So lots and lots of fun. That's what I'm hoping to bring. That sounds like something we all
2: need, especially after (laughs) this year.
1: And then we have our fave question, what have you been loving lately? And then I'm going to add a bit as like, what's a bananas book series that you also (laughs) like?
3: Let's see. Lately I've been loving like, books. Could be anything. Oh, okay. TV, movie, podcast, whatever. Okay, well, I've really been enjoying Fleabag, which I'm re-watching for, like, the third time, so... yeah. <laughs> but every time I watch it, like, I feel inspired by a different element of it, because it's just so funny it's in so, so many good. ways.
2: so <laughs> good! You know what I haven't watched yet is I May Destroy You, which I've heard is the next fantastic yeah, show.
3: Yeah, I'm worried about I don't know if you guys ever watched Chewing Gum with Michaela Coel. Mm-hmm.
2: I have. I've yeah. heard of it because it had Susan McComa in it, right? I heard you yes. talk about it.
3: Okay, I love her. She's yes. Like, so do I. And I loved her show Crazy Head as well. That was a comedy, and I loved that one. And I loved Chewing Gum, but I don't think I may destroy you as a comedy. And I was talking to my friends about it. My friends all loved it. And when they were describing it to me, it sounded like the kind of thing that would really upset me. It's it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's
1: very, it's very dark. Sometimes I needed like a break between the episodes are some funny parts, but yeah, nothing. I I don't think. Fleabag's dark
2: too. It's not heavy in content, Hmm. but it's, it's dark comedy.
3: (laughs) Fleabag is definitely dark, (laughs) but I feel like I didn't know it was going to be dark. And then it would be dark. And I'd be like, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) which made it easier to handle (laughs) so I I feel like I'm working up to I may destroy you (laughs) and then book wise I have been enjoying so much I feel like I read very chaotically but I recently discovered I think my name is T. Kingfisher and That, that sounds familiar yeah and I started with this book called Sword Heart, which was like, it was a fantasy romance, and I'm always looking for those. I didn't realize it was basically like a comedy. It was hilarious. There's like a, a man who's trapped in a sword, and he is cursed to serve whoever draws the sword. And then, like, a middle aged widow draws the sword, and they go on many adventures. But also, is kill this people, ringing bells for but me. It's fun. <laughs>
1: Do you read a lot of romance or I know some people don't like to read in the genre that they're writing because they are afraid maybe that they'll take some plot points or do you just like love romance?
3: Oh my god, romance is all I read. (laughs) I couldn't imagine not reading it. (laughs) I would have nothing else to read and then I would just slowly die in a heap. I find that like, it's like, it like fills a creative well, you know, to read amazing books in your own genre. Like it's good to see what everyone is doing. I don't think you can accidentally copy plot points. I think authors are all really self-conscious about this. Like I was talking to my friend and I, um, she was telling me about her book and I was saying, oh, that sounds like this book. And she was like, oh, does it? Should I change it? And I was like, no. All that means is that people who like this book are going to like your book as well. But, you know, we're all the same species. So we all have the same ideas, but it's how we execute them that matters. And we all do that differently.
2: Do you ever though, okay, this is my fear. When we've been doing NaNoWriMo, sometimes I feel like I want to emulate an author's style, like in terms of writing style, which I don't think is always a good idea. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you hear like perfect phrases and whatnot and that's something that always scares me and I wonder how authors deal with that or if it's not really a problem and you just become more original as you write more.
3: (laughs) Well, when I first started writing, not even publishing, but when I was just like experimenting with writing as a teenager, I had a problem where I would get, like, huge crushes on the way an author wrote, and I'd be like, I'm going to write like them now. And I'd start a story writing like them, and by the time I finished the chapter, it would just sound like me again. (laughs) And I honestly think, like, it's impossible to avoid your own voice, because when you're writing, you're seeing, or if not seeing, experiencing the story in your mind, however you experience your imagination. You communicate that directly. And if you're emulating someone else, you have to put it through a filter, and that's an extra level of effort. So the filter's always going to slip. And especially I feel the more you write and the more confident you become, your voice is kind of honed in a lot more difficult to turn off and a lot more intense.
2: And I suppose your unique voice is made out of all of the different authors that you've read and loved and influenced. And it all sort of meshes together to become something that's unique to you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously when you really are in the piece of writing, you're like, oh, it's possible to do that. That's what I want to do. And obviously we all love different things. So we're all informed by those different things and, Mm -hmm. and we all put them through our own lens. So yeah, I think that's true. Well, thank you
1: so much for joining
3: us today. It's been great. I've had loads of fun talking books. So thank you for having me. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you for listening to the Kobo Writing Life podcast. If you're interested in learning more
1: about Talia or reading her books, we will include links to them in the show notes. And make sure to check it up Wrapped Up In You. It's available on Kobo right now. This episode was produced by Stephanie McGrath and Joni Deplacido. Production assistance by Rachel Wharton. This episode was edited by Kelly Robotham. Music was provided by Jerker. And special thanks to Talia for being a guest on our episode. If you're ready to start your self-publishing journey today, sign up for free at Kobo.com slash writing life. Until next time, happy writing.
0: Like Stephanie says, if you've got a book in you ready to get out into the world, head on over to Kobo Writing Life. We'll be back with a special Staff Picks episode of Kobo in Conversation next week. It was a lot of fun to do, and we've got so many great books to recommend. In the meantime, though, you can catch up with past episodes and browse books recommended by amazing authors at Kobo.com conversation.